0: book of Genesis is where it begins. This is to this is the start, the beginning, right? And um, we have to take God's word on the beginning. He's the only one who was there, right? And so God has given us the beginning, really the beginning of everything. We learn so much from the book of Genesis, the seed bed of the whole Bible, it's book of Genesis, right? And, um, so many things that 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 are blessing to us doctrinally we see in types in the book of genesis we see in picture in type it's a great book and um so the book of genesis is where we go to find uh the first of everything the first family and that's what we to talk about today so if you found genesis chapter number two we're going to start at verse number 15. I'm going to read 11 verses out of this passage. And then we'll talk a little bit about this. And I, I do know, guys, you know, we laugh, but I know it's hard to stay awake. It's hard to be alert with a belly full of pork like that, right? And uh, it's been a blessing. But I want, to, I want to try to point some things out in this passage and, and try to just walk right through this passage, and, and I hope it will be a blessing for you. So we're going to dive down into this. On verse number fifteen, all right, and I'm gonna read from verse fifteen over to the end of the chapter. All right, notice what it says. It says, "The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it." And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, "You may surely eat of every tree of the garden." Whatever the man called every living creature, that was a name. That was its name, rather. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last, or this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And there shall be one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, that's good reading. And it's interesting to us. And we ought to lean in because we have the first home, the first family. And what we have is we really have marriage as God intended. Home as God intended. This is the original divine design. And in, what, in all we've read tonight, I want to talk to us men because I want to talk to, about something that I call the, the manhood mandate. The manhood mandate. Every man is under mandate. God has given to us our marching orders. God has given to us that which he has made us for. And we'll look in this passage and talk a little bit about that. Okay, And as we do, we might pray as as David taught us to pray, search me and know my heart, right? Search me and know my heart. I was saying this morning that David, David understood enough about himself that he knew that he could not trust himself to search his own heart. He had to turn over the search of his heart to the Lord. Because, see, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and I can't fully know it. But the Lord knows my heart. And so we ask the Lord, turn the searchlight of his spirit And the truth of his word, the entrance of his word gives light, luminous, so that we might see what it is that God has to say to us and and to you as an individual, as a a man. Here, as we look here in Genesis chapter number 15, and we're talking about what tonight? The the what? The manhood mandate, like like the, the ministry of manhood. How many of you are glad to be a man tonight? All right. Hey, I, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm glad God made me a man, right? He didn't make a mistake. He, he made me a man. He made me what he wanted me to be. And when he, he, he made me, I'm not, I'm not just groping around. Thank God he had left us to grope around in darkness about what that is. And he has not left us simply to the social scientists to tell us what it is. See, the truth of God, the Bible says in Romans chapter number 7, the truth of God has been revealed from heaven. Amen? But watch this now. Truth has been revealed, but truth has been rejected. The Bible says the wrath of God, right, is revealed. Just like God reveals his truth, he reveals his wrath against all unrighteousness is a man that holds down the truth so would what supplant the truth what in, in, in unrighteousness see man god reveals truth and man re, re, rejects truth and not only that not just reject it but watch if you read on in the passage man sort of rethinks truth he just rethinks it right what, what makes that true? What makes this right? What makes this? And so you have this in the, in, in, in the culture today where, where truth is up for grabs. We have this thing called your truth and my truth. That's so stupid. Your truth. Now you ain't got no truth. All truth is God's truth. So man rejects truth and he He rethinks truth and then he replaces truth with what he thinks. Right? If you you put bitter for sweet, then that's what it is. Right? Just good for evil. Right? You want to, here's good, here's evil. I want to switch those. It's okay. Just, Just what Isaiah said. Just a replacing of truth. It's it's perversion. Perversion is a reversal of truth. It's what you call a pervert. Pervert is a person who reverses God's order. So the social scientists, we're not just simply left to these people who are trying to reconstruct society into what they think it ought to be. God has given us His Word. And right here in Genesis chapter number two, it's intriguing because it's just freighted with truth from the beginning. See, no wonder the devil hates the Bible, and no wonder he hates, in particular, the book of Genesis. And no wonder he hates, in particular, the first two chapters of Genesis because it's the most God centered chapters in all the Bible. And it, and it shows God's intent for the world. So he hates it. It's no wonder he's trying to do all he can to discredit the Bible. But Genesis 2 has it for us. And so I want to talk about this. Notice what it says here in verse number... Are y'all with me? So look, notice what it says here in verse number 15 again in this passage as we as we jump down into this, where we believe it's the sixth day of creation, all right? So in other words, Genesis chapter number, chapter number one speaks of the six days of creation, the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. It speaks of all the days of creation, all six of them. It's sort of a floodlight approach to the six days, what happened on the first day, second day, third day. But, but chapter number six sort of, spotlights the sixth day day six the day God made man and and God the Bible says verse number 15 God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it or to work it and to keep it where my man at in here all right so right in verse, wait a minute, in here, all right? All right. So the first verse verse 15, we have in there this man the ministry of manhood. This manhood mandate. Three things I want you to see in in, in this verse as the ministry of a man. Number 1 is the ministry of presence. The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden. Why did God put him there? Because God wanted him present. Now, sometime, men, somebody's already said this morning, we're, we're, it's time for us to stop being passive. Well, you know, let me just tell you something about us. We are, for the most part, oblivious to the obvious. That verse says that God Put the man in the garden. That's the first ministry of a man to be there. We live in a day and we live in a a time where the malady, we have a malady of missing men. Absenteeism. But God put him In the garden. And by the way, the garden, the word simply means enclosure. The first home. This is a home. This is the first home. The first home was a a garden. And so God took the man and put him into the garden. Because this is the first ministry of a man is to be where he is supposed to be. Don't be absent. Be there. Say be there. Be there. Be all there. Why did God put him there? God put him there because every place. I believe this. I believe this. And in the day of girl power, let me just, and I got three, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a girl, dad, I've got three daughters. But let me just tell you this. In a, in a world where we live, where everything seems to be girl power, listen, I want just tell you, this is a mandate. God wants a man in the home. Every place is a better place when a healthy man is there. Now, if you ain't healthy, you'll blow the joint up. Every place is a better place when a strong and healthy and holy man is there. Every community need holy and healthy men or they can't survive. Every church Needs holy and healthy men. Or it can't make it. Every home needs holy and healthy and strong men. Or it it won't stand. God intends for men to be there. And God intends for, now watch this, this is a garden. The very word, garden, garden. It has the way we get our word husbandman, husbandry is gardening. You, the 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 word husband is an Anglo-Saxon word. It comes from house band, house band, house band. You know what a house band is. You, you know what that that metal band on the top and the bottom of a barrel is a house band it holds the thing together it bands the bow it ba- it holds it without that band it falls apart like a blooming onion at Outback that's the picture i get like the Bible is in black and white, but I can kind of see it in technicolor. You know what I'm talking about? That band that banded, bands it holds it together, that's, that's what God, that's the picture. And so the first thing, and I missed this for years because I've been preaching this for years. And one day God says, you're missing something. And it was this, God took the man and put him in the garden. And he said, hey, he wants a man present. When the, when, the, when the nation of Judah was about going into captivity, one of the things God lamented was missing men. Ezekiel 22, he said, I, I sought for a man. He talked about how society was gone and how he sought for a man that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge, that, that he wouldn't destroy the place. And here's what God says in sort of a lament and i found none like the question is where are the men where were the strong and healthy holy men i can't read the story about the demoniac in mark chapter number five without thinking about this man the bible says he was in the tombs night and day and he's mutilating himself he's all on the tomb and yeah you get to think about this he's a he's a he's a picture boy a uh, 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 poster boy of what the devil would do to every man in here if he could were it not for the grace of god what a poster boy of the devil and his cruel art he's a man infested with demons and the bible says he spend his time night and day out in the tombs crying cutting himself mutilating himself and all these things but you know the thing I think about when I think about that man, I think about there he is, where, 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 is, he, where is he absent from? You see what I'm saying? I mean, if he's spending all his time in the graveyard and the dead things and, and milling around, why isn't he, he at home being a son to his mama? Why isn't he at home being a husband to his wife? Why isn't he at home being a dad to his children or a papa to his grandchildren, brother to his sister, neighbor to his friend, friend to his friend? Where is that man? If I mean, have you thought of that? Here's a man out in the tombs in the dead thing. Where isn't he? What's going lacking? Where is he absent from? Some of the boys who are bellied up at the bar and spending their time, hey, listen, and, and, you know, it do not have to be in the graveyard. It could be on the golf course. If you can't say amen, say oh me. <laughs> it would be out in the hunting field. It could be out on a fishing boat. It could be up on the 15th floor in a business suite. I mean when men are, 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 are not where they should be. The ministry of presence is to be where God has called us to be and be where God has placed us and be there and to be all there. This is mandated. So, you see that. Notice, notice also in verse number 15, y'all with me? Notice, he put him in the garden of Eden. That's the ministry of what? Talk back to me. Presence. Watch this. To work it. Here's the second ministry. Stop now. He put him there. That's the ministry of presence. He put him there to work it. That's the ministry of providing or provision you see the garden needs something from the gardener that's what a husbandman is that his home needed something from him he he's to be there and he's to be all there and he's to be a healthy man in that place I talked about this this morning. Again, I think Proverbs eleven twenty nine: 29. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. You ought not be a troubler at home like Achan who, who troubled the nation and who troubled his house. A strong man, a holy man, a healthy man in that space. But God says, I want you there and I want you to work the garden. In other words, I want you to provide the garden what it needs. The garden needs something from the gardener. It is your job to work the garden, to cultivate the garden. There are men in here who've lived long enough to know and to understand that when a man provides for the garden, he lives long enough to realize that the garden provides for him. I mean I've 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 lived long enough to see the fruit of a of a of a garden that just blesses my life. You work the garden. God gives us a beautiful picture and and Look over here in Psalm 128. Where y'all got to be? Um, all right. Look over here with me at Psalm uh, 20, 128. All right? Psalm 128. It's a beautiful, a beautiful picture that, that the psalmist gives of a, of a family dynamic and... Uh, and, and, and I want you to see it. It's beautiful. Notice it says this. Blessed is everyone who fears... Are y'all there? 100% Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Now, I want you to see this as a man, because it is a man, and you'll see what I'm saying. Here's a man who fears the Lord, right? By the way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We talked about wisdom this morning. Wise. Are you wise or otherwise? Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So he says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Remember that? He feared the Lord and depart from evil. But now he says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Here's a wise man who walks in his ways. Here's a wise man. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You know what he's saying? When you work the garden and when you provide for the garden, guess what? The garden provides for you. The garden blesses you. <laughs> Hot dog! Look at what it says here in the next verse. Your wife, lean in, guys. Your wife, All right? You husbands, you got wives, and, and you, you, you single men, you, you would be husbands, you one day husbands. Listen. He says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your garden, your home, your wife, your vine will be beautiful and bountiful. See that? Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine by the side of your house. This is all agrarian, agricultural language. Right? That's what the New Testament uses for, I mean the Old Testament and the Bible uses for fruitfulness and, and land flowing with milk and honey. You know what I'm saying? It it's all has to do with, so he says in this agrarian culture, he says, Yo, you like a man is like a tree planted by the rivers of water and his wife is like a vine planted by the size of his house and his children are like olive plants around his table. See that? Isn't that a beautiful picture here? Here's a man who is a gardener, and he has a beautiful vine. Now, let me just say something about the vine. Y'all hear? Now, now your wife, the Bible says, is like a vine. So, so let me tell you, as a, as a husband, here's what you need to provide, all right, for your vine. <laughs> every, by the way, every, every man ought to know something about all women in general, but you need to know something about your woman specifically. Amen. I mean, women get together, they talk about us. That's all they talk about when they get together, right? <laughs> women talk about men, they do. And we men, like, we all kind of nod and agree about women, right? I, I got boil it boiled down. Women are strange and men are stupid. I got that kind of like my theology, right? But anyhow, <laughs> really, I kind of got it summed down to that, right? So, so, watch this. The Bible says, your wife should be like a fruitful vine by the sides of your house. So let me tell you what a vine needs. Something about a vine, okay? Number one, vines always need proper climate. Proper climate. You want your vine to bear? Can't be too cold now if you want a fruitful vine. Yeah, you better, you better try to warm it up. Every man in here could be better probably at, at creating more warmth in a relationship with his wife. This is one of the things God dealt with me about my emotional adolescence that kept me from being as warm and keeping it at a climate and a place where my wife could be fruitful and beautiful and bountiful and grow and be happy. I was acting too much like a little boy. And let me just tell you something about a boy. A boy can't love a woman. It takes a man. It's too easy to quit and walk away, throw your hands up when you're a boy, when you're an emotional adolescent. It takes a man and it takes a strong man. It takes a husband, a house band. Because it's difficult. I've been married for 42 years. When I got married, my wife was a simple schoolgirl. She's a complicated woman now. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Here's, here's a word that I know every man has used before. Every man, and here's how we use it. It's, we, we, every man who's got a wife, you've said this before. Unbelievable. <laughs> Am I right? Unbelievable. But let me tell you something about that vine. She needs she, the climate has to be right for her to be productive. You young men, you learn this. You want to go home and you want her to put out. She don't work like that. You got to warm that place up. It can't, you can't have some cold, sterile, relationship, and then 10 o'clock, all right now. That that ain't, my pastor used to tell me years ago when we were young GIs over in, in Okinawa, he says, that ain't how that works. He says, guys, you, got, you better be, if you want a little action, you better be working, you better start 10 o'clock a.m. Right? Like men are like microwaves. You hit a couple of buttons and we cooking hot as we gonna cook. Touch a few things. <laughs> All you got to do is touch a few things. <laughs> and we frying, baby. But a woman ain't no microwave. She a crockpot. pot. You got to start early in the morning. And you might have a little soup at night. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But but I'm just telling you, men have to learn this. And listen, we you can do it. I, I could I could do it. I was just too much of a little boy to do it. I come in with my full of piss and vinegar and mad about this and mad about that and too much of a boy to cross over the line and tell how much I loved and tell what keeps us from doing that. There's a word for that. Oh yeah, here it is. Stupid. it don't make any sense but when you act like a little boy the little boy will keep the man pinned down in the corner the man can't come out and and won't come out and show up and be who he needs to be and make an apology and get things right and hold her hand and look at her and tell her how much she means to you how much you love her hold her close and pray for why don't you do this why don't we like Pull them close and pray for them. You thought about it. You said, I'm going to do it, man. When I get home, and then you cop out. You know why? The little boy, and you said to that man, get back in the corner. (laughs) This ain't pop psychology, but I know what I'm talking about. Because I lived that. But my garden, my vine needs something from me. My wife needs something from me. My wife needs to, my wife needs to hear my voice. Think about it. I talk to men all day. I talk to people all day and then get home and don't feel like talking. My wife is wanting to hear my voice. You want want to talk to me. Want me to talk to her. Want to be engaged with me. Want to be engaged with you. And you deprive her of that. It ain't right. I mean, we're strong men. We're to bear the burden. We're to provide for the garden. The garden needs us. My vine needs me. The olive plants around my table need me. I'm to work the garden, the ministry of presence, but God doesn't just want me there. He wants me there, and he wants me to provide. And that's more than bringing home the bacon. I might say that's the least of it." it. I mean, there needs to be some emotional provision pastoral provision i need to so so like here's my vine now it needs it needs proper climate and it needs persistent cultivation vines have to be cut back jesus talked about it in matthew i mean um, yeah matthew john 15 he talks about it about how the father is the husbandman, the father is the gardener, the father is the vine dresser, and he cuts it back so that it might bring forth more fruit. And so your wife needs your voice, my wife needs my voice. I'm almost, I tell you, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you how, how recently I learned this stuff, but I have learned it and continue to learn it and have talked to my wife about it so that I don't retreat back into the corner See, she can't hold me accountable, but I've made myself accountable by telling her that I've acted like a little boy and I'm not going to do that anymore. Get it out there. Get it out there. It's good for you. Just, just get it out there and now you, can't, you ain't got nowhere to run. Y'all out there? So, so she, she needs persistent cultivation. And my words and what I think of her matter. Doesn't it? I, I remember when I was a young Marine. I come home, my wife. I'm just home. I'm dead tired. She wants to talk. She wants to, you know what I'm saying? I mean, engage, and 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 everything I thought just seemed to matter. It was a burden to me. Why does what I think matter so much to her? Can I get a witness? Like she wanna. You didn't say how this look. You didn't say what I thought. You didn't. You're right. It's good. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all good. We could talk about this at halftime, but right now it's good. Now we laugh, but that's stupid. And, and, and um, because she needs my voice Your wife needs your voice. And she needs to think you think she's all that. And they don't outgrow that. There's some things we as men, we don't outgrow. Because we're the male species. There are things that women don't outgrow. They're the male species. They want to think that they look good to the man that they love. That they are important to the person. To the man that they love, and when you get to thinking about that, they, they they're hardwired for that, and to deprive them of that is next to cruelty. So that's what a vine needs: proper climate. A vine needs personal cultivation a a vine needs watch this a vine needs personal closeness you ever notice about a vine the nature of a vine is that they cling that's what the bible says about your wife now she's a vine vines cling. you ever see a vine go up a wall it clings or go up a tree or down a line that's the nature of vines they cling And they, 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 they need that. And I'm talking in broad genera- generalities, but it is true, basically. That's what intimacy is. Men think that sex is intimacy. Sex is not intimacy. Sex is a means to intimacy, but it's not intimacy. Intimacy is closeness. And sex can bring that. But it's not intimate. That people, that people having sex tonight don't even know each other's name. Ain't no intimacy. Intimacy is openness and honesty and closeness. Intimacy is what we read in verse number 25. The man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. No shame in their game. Because there was no sin in their hearts. Nothing to hide. Nothing to fear. All that comes in chapter 3. Openness. That's intimacy. That's why she wants to talk, because that's what she wants. I was at... The, I was at uh, Hebron Christian Academy yesterday, and I said this is basic truth about girls and boys. You got daughters, I got daughters and sons, and I raised three daughters and one son. And um, here's a basic truth about females and, and, and males, particularly at the age in which I was talking yesterday. But it's a basic truth that the average boy thinks more highly of himself and the average girl thinks too lowly of herself. That's a basic truth. Here's another basic truth. And I was talking to them about this yesterday, and it's true. So, so that's a perfect storm. Because let me tell you what happened. You've been a boy. You remember what, it be, what being a boy was and where you were at that age, 15, 16, right? If people say you are what you think, that can't be true because I would have turned into a girl if, if that was true. Because <laughs> that's all I thought <laughs> when I was 15. But, but let me just tell you this, so you, and it's the basic truth, that boys will play around with the love thing because they really want sex, and then girls will play around with sex because what they really want is love. That's the basic truth. And that's no different than than what it is with women. Women want intimacy. And that's openness and that's honesty and that's closeness. And there's no shame, no game. That's you I'm here we are, we're naked and open. We're close. And you don't want to starve her, right? I think it was Chuck Swindoll or one of these Bible teachers talk about James Dobson. Y'all you know, remember James Dobson, Focus on the Family. He says that the average wife is like a woman in a, in a rowboat circling an island trying to look at a place to, to land on this island. You're like an island and your wife is looking for a place where she can land and because she wants to come up and explore and, we as men it's next to cruelty guys to women what's up great all right <laughs> so that's so job 1 ministry Mandate number one is what? Ministry of what? All right. Ministry mandate, manhood mandate number two is what? Provision. And then notice, he put the man in the garden to dress it and to keep it. That's the third mandate the mandate of protection. Ministry presence, ministry of provision, ministry of protection. That word keep, is to it means to garrison about. It means to, to, to protect. And that's what a man is called to be, a, pro, a provider and a protector. Now it's a shame that 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 in so many, it's a shame that in so many cases, these girls who are to be protected by the men in their lives are preyed upon by the men in their lives. When providers and protectors turn into perpetrators and, and, and predators, only God in heaven knows how many girls have to run and hide in their own families? And God has called men to be protectors. It helped me. Um, and, and I said last night, I'm one of you. I'm a struggler. I've been, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a struggler just like the rest of you. But as God is my helper, I said, I'm going to be a better husband to my wife of all these years, who laid down and had my babies, and who raised my children. I'm going to be a better husband to her. Because that's what she deserves. And it helped me one day when it dawned on me that... Again, we're oblivious to obvious things, but it dawned on me just like I have my daughters, and I love my daughters. these little you cut your right arm off of your daughters. I realized, man, I married somebody's daughter. I know what I want for my daughters. I want some, somebody. Who ain't gonna say, man, she tripping? I'm out of here. And, and you know what, you know what tripping is? She's acting like a girl. Hey, pal, you married a girl. If you don't want her to act like a, hey, you should have married Buck. Then, can't handle. See how, hey, but you married a girl. Your wife is a girl. She ain't no boy. She acts like a girl. That's who you married a girl. And it dawned on me. I married somebody's daughter, and I know what I want for my daughters. I want a strong man to be married to my daughter. I want a man who would 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 pull her close when she's feeling emotional and want to cry, and not just say, "Man, I can't handle." I, I. his, his. All right, now. Guys, I'm going to try to land this here in just a minute. But here's, here's what I, I want you to imagine. All right? The thought of this. If, if a man saw any man, this is, this is any man who's worth his salt. If, if he saw any woman, but particularly your wife, and she's coming across, if you looked up, you're in, you're in the house, and you see your wife coming across Say a parking lot, or you you coming in the house, and she's got a box or a package that's obviously a little bit too big, and obviously a little bit too heavy, and 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 too awkward, right? And she's trying to muscle that thing and get that thing, and she's trying to balance that thing and walk. Any man with any woman who's worth their salt, will get up off of their rear end and beat it over to them and take that box because it might be too big and too heavy for her and awkward, but I got it. I'm the strong man. I got it. Am I right about that? Any man would do that. And yet, We as men will see our wives struggle emotionally with something too heavy, too big, too awkward for them. We sit right on our end and let them struggle by themselves. She's all messed up. She's spiraling down like girls do. And we act like too much of emotional cowards to get in there and say, baby, let me help you with that. God has called us to be God has called us to be the strong men and he's given to us this ministry of of presence present in our home see that man in in, in Genesis I mean uh, in um, Psalm 128 he's there his wife is like a fruitful vine his children are like olive plants he's at the table right he's like at the table as men as husbands let's get at the table let's 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 get our families around us. Let's say to them how much I love you. You got children in faraway places, they're adults. I've got adult children. Tell them how much you love them. When they come home, they don't come home. Maybe even you have some estrangement and some strained relationship. I know this is a world like that. Listen, by the grace of God, ask God for wisdom to to get get those things healed. That God will give you the years that the locusts have eaten. That you can bring that He bring health and healing. He's Jehovah Rapha. He can heal things, and and you 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 work on that, and you be man enough, not a little boy, man enough, to say I'm sorry for whatever I've done, to write a letter, whatever you've got to do. But you get your family around you, and uh, and uh, and to uh, and uh, and, uh, and uh, so home can be the home God intends for it to be, and that we're not gonna i'm not going to trouble my own house and inherit the wind and harvest nothing and so this is the ministry the manhood ministry is presence and provision and protection solomon talking about the marriage and talking about the, 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 the God, he says, take us to little foxes, little foxes that what? spoil the vine. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we won't protect our wives from little things. Let me just tell you, it doesn't, it's not always the big things. I've, I've been a pastor for a long time, and I've seen marriages survive catastrophic things, big things. But you know what? I've seen marriage just fall and almost, almost irretrievable from just a life full of little things. Just discourtesy, taking one another for granted. You follow what I'm saying? Just sort of just sort of losing altitude and flatlining, not some catastrophic something somebody did something, some affair, something like that. I've seen those things and I've seen people get it back together, but when when there is this slow death and everybody bleeds out because we got a thousand paper cuts. It ain't a bunch of stuff, but just a thousand. And we just lose altitude, and before long, it's gone. Little foxes. Just not being courteous, not saying thank you and being appreciative and and those kind of things. By the way, the word courtesy comes from the word court. When you courting, you know how you were when you used to court? And now we're discourteous. Let me give you two things before I go. Two things. In the next verse, it talks about how God gives man, this man that he gives his mandate to. He gives him this mandate of presence and provision and protection. And then God said to the man of every tree of the garden thou may freely eat. In other words, here in verse number 16, you see God gives man his permission. Right? So like, He says, Adam, you have my permission, my permission in your home. Man has a certain permission in his home. God has given to man the permission. Authority is permission. Did you know that? Authority is permission. What is authority? Authority is permission you have to act on someone else's account. That's what authority is. It's the legitimate right, permission being given to act on someone else's behalf. And God gives Adam a certain permission in his home. He gives man a certain permission in his home. And God gives man this permission and he says enjoy. God says freely eat. Eat freely. Eat freely and enjoy freely. It's your home, Adam. Right? The name on the mailbox is Adam. Right? So this is your home and I watch he he God gives him permission. And 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 Adam has watch. He has leadership. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou may not eat of it. And Adam in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely what? Not probably die, you shall surely die. So watch in verse 16 he gives man his permission. In verse 17 he gives man his prohibition. You may, verse 16, you may not. Here's what God is saying. Every man needs to see this. And I'm closing. Here's what every man needs to see. God has given to us a manner of leadership. But there's a difference between leadership and lordship. He says, Adam... You are the leader in your home, but I'm the Lord of your home. And this is good for men to understand, so that so that so that you don't encroach upon God. He has given us permission and prohibition. God has said, "Okay, Adam, here's some things you may do, and here's some things you may not do." Or there's one thing you may not do. And you know what He's doing? He is bringing Adam under authority, because all true, genuine leadership is under authority. Leadership doesn't mean an absence of authority over you. It means precisely the opposite. It means that you are under authority. That's where you get your authority. Dr. Adrian Rogers, great preacher, Bible preacher, used to say it this way. You got to learn to get under who you're supposed to be under so you can be over what you're supposed to be over. You better get up under God so you can take authority over everything that's supposed to be under you. When a person steps out from under their authority, guess what happened? To everything under them. They lose authority over those things. All right, that don't cost you nothing extra. You got to be under what you're supposed to be under if you're going to be over what you're supposed to be over. The man in Luke chapter number 7, you remember that centurion that centurion who said to Jesus, Jesus, I got a servant that's sick. Come and heal him. Jesus says, I'm going to come, right? And when the, Jesus is on his way, the man says, listen, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. You just, you just what? Speak the word and they'll be healed. Then he said this, is powerful. He says, for I also am a man under authority. He said, and I have soldiers under me. I have servants, and I say to one, go and go, and the other one, come and come. He says, so did you hear what he said? I also am a man under authority. You know what he was saying? Jesus, I know why you have authority over demons and over sickness and over death and over all those things. Because you are under the authority of your father. And here's a military man. I'm a military man. I understand how it works. Any military men in here? The military men understand how this works. You gotta be like, I'm a, I was a staff sergeant. A staff sergeant had authority over sergeants and corporals and lance corporals and PFCs and privates. But you know what? I was under the gunnery sergeant. And the gunnery sergeant is under the master sergeant who's under the sergeant major and who's under the Right? And so it goes like that, right? And the major's over him, but the major's under the colonel. colonel's over the major, but he's under the general. right? And the general is under the Secretary of the Navy, right? The Marine Corps is the Department of the Navy. we under the Department of the Navy. we were the men department. But anyhow <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> so) <laughs> but there was this upper, under, upper, under. The general's under the secretary and the secretary of defense and the secretary of defense under the president and the president is under the constitution, theoretically. <laughs> right? That's But everybody is under. That's why they have power over. You step from under and you lose power over. So what am I saying? Every man to be that strong man, to be that man, that healthy man who's present and who provides and who protects must be a man under authority who is a leader of his home but knows he's not the Lord of his home. There's only one Lord. This is the manhood mandate. So much we could talk about in this passage, but we're going to pull up here. And I want to pray. Hey, uh, Bo, won't you come up on the guitar and just play a little bit and um, as we, it might be good for us if God has spoken to your heart about, about anything today. Maybe I know how it is, man, and me like this and hadn't seen your wife all day. Maybe and you begin to think these things and maybe a message like this and you, you, you know, you just need to man up. We just need to man up. Cowboy up. And it might be that you just need to get before the Lord, get on your face before the Lord somewhere in this place say, God, help me. I'm, I'm like a little boy who can't go and say what I need to say or I, I hadn't said in a long time what I should say every day. And I just need to get my heart right with you and, and you have given me this mandate and I want to fulfill it. I want to be under authority and take authority over my home and the people that love me and who need to hear my voice, who need to have my engagement. I want to be that. And if, 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 if today God has spoken to your heart and is speaking in your heart with anything you've heard today, I'm going to ask you to maybe do that. Just, just peel away, get by yourself somewhere, maybe at the altar. And let's just spend time before the Lord.